Hi, and welcome to the Hot Air Podcast from Watchful. I'm Victor Over, and I'm here with my colleague, Steve. And on today's pod, we're talking with Nathan Ingram. Nathan's a growth coach for WordPress agency owners and founder of monstercontracts.com. He's always giving talks at WordCamps and many, if you're in the community, you probably uh, know or have listened to Nathan before. Steve, why don't you give us a preview of today's pod? Hey, Vic. Yeah, Nathan is a longtime friend of mine, and he's really in the sweet spot for this podcast. He's been building websites for customers for 25 years. He runs his own WordPress agency now, and he uses all that experience to coach new agency owners. And he's also getting into producing resources to help agency owners to structure and improve their businesses. Oh, I can't wait for this pod, Steve. It's high energy, engaging, and really chock full with great advice. Let's get after it. Hey, Nathan, welcome to the Watchful Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks very much. So you are a agency coach. You've done lots of contract work for agencies. You run an agency. You work for iThemes, talking with agency people all the time. We are in mid-May now. What's the feeling you're getting from your work, from the people you talk with in agencies? What's the state of the WordPress agency world in mid-May 2020? Yeah, so that's such a great question. And it varies, quite honestly. I, I try, I've been trying in the, the live webinars that I do with iThemes, I've been trying to get a, kind of a finger on a pulse of how things are going, whether it's up, down, or about the same. And Honestly, I think the answer depends on the health of the freelancer or the agency prior to COVID-19. People that were up are staying up. People who were down are kind of still down. And people who were about the same are about the same. Wish I was smarter enough to figure out some sort of trend, but as best I can figure, uh, that's just about it. It may be that in most cases, COVID hasn't, has maybe accelerated some trends. So if a business was doing well, in the agency world at least, they may be doing extra well now. Or if they were struggling, maybe they're struggling a bit more. It's a little different from, say, a restaurant that may have been doing well until COVID and then took a very sharp turn. Whereas in the agency world, it's more of a, it's, it's magnified existing trends. Yeah, I think you, you've put your finger on, I think, an important issue, which is COVID puts a magnifying glass on our business right now. Right. So if you have good systems and processes, if you have good sales funnels, if your referral marketing is working well, if your recurring revenue is good, then those things get better. If they're not, then it's a little harder to start building those things now, maybe than it was before. Yeah. And and I think those are some of the things we discussed before we started recording. Those are the things that generally indicate a healthy, strong business, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you were healthy before, you may find yourself healthier. Uh, if you're suffering before, you might find that trend continuing as well, unfortunately. Have you found any of the agencies that you kind of have experience with, the folks you're coaching and, and the people you deal with day to day, have they been also focusing on shoring up their expense side? So if the revenue side is healthy, for example, I know that Steve and I have spoke with lots of folks who are reviewing every expense. Do we actually need this service? Do we have to spend money here? Can we take a pause just to make sure that we're maximizing everything until you know we kind of get back to some kind of sense of normalcy? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's one of the things that I recommended people that I I'm coach, have a coaching relationship with at the very beginning of all this is you know make sure expenses are buttoned down. A healthy financial situation looks like 
my recurring expenses are stable or, or decreasing and my rec- revenue is increasing. Uh, and so getting a good handle on what those expenses is critical. You know, although I think, you know, looking at what you're spending is, again, it's not COVID related. That's a good, healthy business to begin with. And if I'm a lot of money dropping out the door, you know, it puts a lot more force on me to have to bring in money in the door, maybe taking on the wrong clients, doing things I don't want to do. Whereas if we can button up those expenses and get a lot more control over what I'm actually, what it costs me to have a business live, you know, it lets me make smarter decisions on the kind of work that I do to bring money in. Yeah, I guess you could, I guess you could think in some ways, COVID is, uh, I don't want to say it's helped anything, but it's allowed people to, to dive or it's forced them to take a better look at, at their business. Even if it was moderately successful, you can let some of those recurring expenses slide. Oh, I don't necessarily need it, but I can suffer because my sales funnels are good or my recurring revenue is good. But now it's like, now I've got a, a tighter ship. That's a good thing. It absolutely, is in my opinion. Have you noticed any trends in the kinds of services or expenses that people are either canceling outright or you know, dropping some of their uh, expenditures on? Any, any trends that stand out? That's a great question. I'm trying to think of a trend that I've seen. I think people are tending to reevaluate things that are hitting them every month. You know, the annual things haven't necessarily come up yet, but they certainly will. You know, I had, uh, there's a couple of annual plugins, for example, that have come to renewal from, for my agency here in the last couple of months. And all of those, I'm like, no, those are things that we actually use and need. Uh, Dropbox came up for renewal. That's a no brainer for me because I live and die by that thing. You know, for me at least, what I've got is, is pretty, the things I'm spending money on are necessary. I think anything that comes up for renewal right now is going to get an extra set of scrutiny from people that are really watching the bottom line. And new purchases is the same. Uh, we were shopping for some um, WordPress plugins recently, and the final decision process was, uh, was it going to be an annual expense, which most plugins and WordPress, most premium plugins charge annually? Or are there some options that are going to actually have a one-time fee? It might be a higher one-time. I can pay it now justify the expense and never have to pay it again. That's a big decision maker. Uh, and it's kind of a rare thing in WordPress right now, but it's attractive if, if you can afford the, the sticker <laughs> price. Uh, it totally is. And we actually just bought into a lifetime deal on a plugin just recently as well that we'll continue to use uh, going forward. Uh, and it's tough. You know, I, th- I think I'm all for the annual renewal. I think it's hard to build a business without that. Uh, I think uh, early on in the WordPress game, people had those lifetime licenses and all of a sudden, they get a few years in and like, wow, we don't have any money coming in. We can't... That business model does not sustain. So I'm for that. And I want to reward developers for good work. And I want them to be in business next year in case I have port issues or, or whatever. But you know, that again, balanced with, is this thing that our client work can support? Is it, is it worth investing that annual dollar in that plugin? Yeah, we took over a business a few years ago where people had been... Or the previous owners had been selling lifetime licenses since about 2005. And that's all very good for the initial injection of cash. But when the people with lifetime licenses are still emailing you questions and, um, and expecting support 15 years later, <laughs> that's not a, a sustainable financial model. No, it's really not. So Nathan, you've been working on some of your own products as well, right? You've been trying to build an agency-related product based on what you've learned from your agency work? Yeah, so I, I sort of have I, I 
approach my year in seasons and usually toward the end of each year, uh, client work tends to be dropping, you know, right at the beginning of December through say the middle of January, beginning of February. That's usually a lull in client work. And so for the past few years, I've taken that time to, you know, what can I do strategically either for myself and my, my coaching and consulting business or for client work? What can I do to build and work on my business instead of in my business? A couple of years ago, I wrote a book uh, based on a WordCamp talk that I gave dealing with problem clients. And this past year, 2019-2020, I've taken the contract that I've used in client work for, and, and built on for 25 years. I, started, I, built, I, I built and sold my first website in 1995. So I've been at this for a long time. And all the <laughs> lessons that I've learned working with clients, I have gone gradually into this master services agreement that every client signs. And so I've taken that contract that I've been providing as well to people I've coached over the years, and that I've created a product around that called Monster Contract uh, that allows people to have access to you know 25 years of lessons learned working with clients into a, a contract that uh, will keep you protected from difficult clients. So what was the name of the book originally? Uh, so the book is called uh, Dealing with Problem Clients. Building fences around friendly monsters, and that's uh, on Amazon as print and Kindle. Does it have a cute little monster logo? Uh, yes, it's got a wonderful little monster <laughs> logo. <laughs> yeah, if you look at uh, myfriendlymonster.com, it's got links to all the monster stuff. <laughs> hey, so Nathan, let's dive into that a little. And one of the reasons uh, we're excited to have you on um, because you have so much experience with with coaching agencies big uh, I know a lot of your work is with uh, micro agencies uh, and smaller agencies but I think that these problems from our discussions that agencies have are, are common so what would you say and you know first go get your book read all the answers are there but if you could pick one uh, what do you think the most common problem agency owners have and what's the solution yeah so the most common one, I'm going to give you two. Okay, that's that works, on, that works, that yeah, works. <laughs> these are the two most common issues that I see. The first is systems, systems and processes. If you're an agency owner and you do client work, you know, the process is a little different each, that's pretty normal, I've discovered. Uh, but that's a, it's a great way to waste a lot of time in an agency. Whether you're a freelancer, solopreneur, agency, whatever label you put on your it's a great way to, to lose a lot of time and energy. So systematizing processes from the checklist for the first conversation with the client all the way out through a launch checklist when the project is actually launched into a management checklist for a weekly management of that website once it launches. Getting everything systematized is so important and so many people don't have that in place. Uh, it, it does take some work, but it, it's not complicated. It's just detail work of you know the next time you do something... Write a process for it, and then you've got it. So systems and processes is, is I would say, probably the number one. The number two is building recurring revenue. Recurring revenue is critical, especially in these times where everything is changing and we're saying unprecedented about everything. Having recurring revenue is a safety blanket. It just it keeps you security blanket. It, it just keeps you feeling. It gives you a lot of peace during a time when there's a lot of turmoil going on. You've read the book, The Checklist Manifesto? Uh, the Checklist Manifesto is wonderful. It's something I recommend all the time. Which is hilarious to me. We've had the same book come up with multiple conversations on this podcast. And for those that haven't read it, it was a book written by a doctor about how to do medical procedures correctly. But it seems like lots and lots of agency owners have adopted it as their manifesto too, in order to 
make sure their client processes go smoothly. Absolutely. And actually, what I recommend is not even that book necessarily. There's a summary of the checklist manifesto that leaves out a lot of the stories, but still gives you the meat of the book. And uh, that one you can knock through in a couple of hours and it gives you all of the, the high level points that that book makes and it, it's gold. So let's just take a little side stroll to what we just discussed. You two great pieces of advice for agency owners. But what about when it comes to the client specifically? And again, I want to, I'm just really interested in that book you wrote and the talks you've been giving at WordCamp about problem clients. What are the one or two most common problems people experience with clients and how do they fix them? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, wow, clients. The most common problem that I see with agencies or freelancers or wherever you are on that spectrum, whatever label you apply to yourself, the most common problem I see is that websites are stuck on content. We're six months in and we're still waiting on the text for the About Us page or the photographer hasn't come and taken the team picture or blah, blah, blah. Stuck on content. And it's the content issue is a process issue because you can really fix that whole issue with a tweak to your system that you use to build websites. And so what I usually suggest people do is we adopted this about uh, five years ago now. We moved to what we call a content-first approach, which is, you know, it used to be that when we were building sites, we would, uh, oh, the client has sent us the bio for the CEO. Okay, we're, let's build that page. And oh, here's the, the text for this particular service that the client's going to offer. Oh, let's build that page. And there's the pictures that go over here. And so you end up building a site piecemeal over a period of a couple of months, and it takes forever. And sometimes, you know, the, oh, we need to change this that we just did. It's back and forth, back and forth. And so it's incredibly frustrating. And then you usually get to 95%. You've done all the work. You still haven't gotten paid other than maybe 50% deposit up front. And you're six months, nine months, two years up the road, and you still don't have the site launched. So we changed the content first, which means when the client signs the contract and gives us a deposit, we don't move an inch until 100% of the assets to build the website are in-house. That's all the words, all the pictures, all the videos, all the downloads, all the everything. And we have some tools that help clients collect that information. And we'll bring in a writer if the project, you know, calls for that. But once you have all the assets in place, you can block out a one-week sprint or a three-day sprint and build the website and you're done. It's so much more efficient. I wish I'd realized that years ago, (laughs) but sometimes I'm slow to understand those things. So is it fair to say that asking about problem clients is perhaps the wrong question, that a problem client is more like a symptom of a problem with you? If your processes are not working correctly, you're not asking for the right things from your clients, you're not vetting the clients, maybe you're not running the business well enough to produce recurring revenue, then you're a bit desperate for money, maybe you take on the wrong client a lack of recurring revenue and a lack of good processes produces bad clients. Is that probably a better way to think about it? I think it's both. There are genuinely some bad clients. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, it's, you know, okay. the, the picture I like to give is the client is a friendly monster, right? They're friendly, but they're still a monster. Every friendly monster has the potential for transformation. <laughs> Every friendly monster still has teeth. So the way I like to picture this is that we need to build fences around our friendly monsters. And the fences that we need to build, and this is what the book covers, are clarity, commitments, communication, and documentation. Those four fences, at least, there may be more that you should build, but those four fences at least need to be in place. And those can look, in, you know, look differently in every business, and they will. But 
the idea is we keep the monsters boxed in by good practices and processes within our own business. And that can help to keep the friendly monster from running all over our world. Now, there are some clients that are just bad clients and they're going to break down a fence and then you just let them run away. You just let them go. But with good systems and processes, it can keep a potential bad client from transforming. I like that you've, you've thought through this analogy all the way. <laughs> <laughs> the monster and the fences analogy has been thoroughly thought through. Well, it's, I've lived it, right? So, you know, it, and this is the thing that I see people doing all the time. And whether you're a freelancer, solopreneur, agency owner, it doesn't matter. If you're dealing with a problem client and you allow the client to weasel out of some commitment they've made in a contract or whatever, and, you, oh, I'm gonna, it's going to be, quote, unquote, good customer service. And I'm just going to you know, please this client or I'm going to you know, make this client happy. And you know, it feels great for about five seconds. And then that, it starts to turn into a little resentment. Oh, I can't believe they asked me. I can't believe they did this. Or the client... You know, it's like the old book I used to read to my kids. You know, you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk to go with it, right? And so they're always going to ask for more and more and more and more. And you, you, we can actually train our clients to be bad clients by over-delivering and not being able to continue to over-deliver. Answering emails at 10 p.m. Don't do that. You're training your client to, you know, to, that they can get work done at 10 p.m. But so the client can actually become worse because we don't have good boundaries in place. And so when we, when we over-deliver and when we try to uh, let the client weasel out of commitments that they've made under the moniker of good customer service, what ends up happening is <laughs> we start to get angry about that and then we take it out on the people that are closest to us. And this is the insane thing about client work sometimes is that we don't force a perfect stranger, a client, to live with consequences of their actions. And instead, we get angry at the people in our life that we love the most. We get angry at our wife and kids or whatever because we're so frustrated about this client. Instead of just building fences around the client and saying no, smiling, but saying, no, we can't do that. I'm sorry, that's not what we agreed to. Keeping those friendly monsters fenced in. Hey, you're reading my mind a little, Nathan. I was about to ask you about, you know, we're can your processes train clients? And you've given a, a great example how you don't want to train them to come outside the fences in this case. I also thought that the processes like this content first approach, I was going to ask you, and I think I know the answer. I think that probably ends up training at least your, your good clients how to continually be better. It reinforces the next stage of work that maybe your client brings you. The next project they want, they're adding something onto the website or whatever it is that it's going to be. Like, oh, before I nag Nathan, I better have my ducks in a row. I'm going to come with all my documents, all my texts, all my assets so he can get started right away. And I wonder if the subs, have you noticed the subsequent stages of clients like being more efficient, better process oriented and just faster and more you know, profitable? Yeah, and it depends on the client. Some clients, that's just not their thing, right? Uh, some clients need help to get focused in. And you can provide those clients extra help. But what I've discovered is by explaining my process, first meeting with the client, you know, a lot of times that first meeting, my goal is I want to sell a website and that's exactly the wrong thing to do. I, I, I say, consider that first conversation like it's a first date. You got to figure out if this relationship is going to work. And, you know, this is a person that's going to be in your life probably for the next several months or years, depending on how long the relationship lasts. Is this somebody I even want to be around, right? So we're testing that whole thing. But as part of that first conversation, I'm explaining to the client, look, this is the way we build websites. One, two, three, four. These are the steps that are involved. And we've done this for 25 years. This works. 
And uh, this is the way we do things. If the client starts pushing back on that already in that first conversation, huge red flag, this is not going to be a good client going forward. A good client respects you and respects the, the systems and processes in your business. And so you know, if they start pushing back at that first conversation, hmm, the first client meeting is a first date. You're getting the best possible version of that client you're ever going to see. They're on their best behavior. And if they're already starting to push, it's time to really evaluate whether this is a good client or not. And so you get the client used to your system and process. You build a successful site. They see that that process actually works. And so to your point, future work with them, they're gonna be, it's going to be a lot easier to, to move them through that process. So the contracts that you produce for your customers are a key part of the fences you're putting up around them? Absolutely. So, What would be in a contract that you would deliver that most agency owners wouldn't put in their contracts? You've been working on this for many years now. What kinds of things do you see people miss that you always recommend that people include? Yeah, gosh. Okay, so my contract is built. So every paragraph in that contract is there for a reason. And I could probably tell a story about every paragraph that's in that contract because it's there because there was some client problem along the way that evoked that statement being added to the contract, right? So a lot of contracts that agencies have, they're either pure legalese that nobody can really understand, or they're just very simple, like three paragraph. It's just not covering all the things. So they're either too simple or too complex. Yes, they tend to be too simple or too complex or too generic, maybe. So, you know, and, and we need good legalese, by the way. I mean, those, the boilerplate legal language needs to be in there so that if you ever get to a court, you don't have to litigate what the meanings of things are. The, the standard contractual language is there. And honestly, there's not a whole lot of that that needs to be there. But the statements pertain to client work, like what happens if a client disappears during a project? You know, they, they're incommunicado for three months. What happens in that situation? What happens when the client wants to add to the scope and there's scope creep? What's the process there? Is there a change that's involved? And how does that work? What does it look like if you or the client want to walk away from the contract? How is this thing terminated? What's the process? Intellectual property. Who owns what? Can you reuse, for example, some code that you write on one client's website? Can you reuse that on another client's website? Or did the client purchase that? What about browser compatibility, premium plugin licenses? What if the client hires a, an SEO firm that goes in and goofs everything up? Are you now liable to have to go in and fix that sort of thing? All of those things, accessibility, GDPR, legal requirements, terms and conditions, email deliverability. There, there's uh, all kinds of issues that uh, need to be included, at least just a statement. Otherwise, you're, you're having to fall back on the client's good nature to be understanding that you're not going to do this. And that's great with a lot of clients, but you don't need a contract for the good clients. You need a contract for the bad clients and you never know which is which, really, until you start working with them for a while. Do you have a, a force majeure line in the contract now for cases like um, COVID-19 or other acts of God? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And so the stance of the, the monster contract has always been, we promise a deliverable date. Because that depends on so many things. If a particular project needs to be launched by a certain date, then way, you know waypoints and deliverable points need to be built into the into the proposal of services itself. However, after COVID, uh, we're going to add actually a force majeure clause into the contract 
that'll be pushed in the next version, probably in the next 30 days or so. But you know, I, I take a, a two-document approach, and we talked about this a little bit before we started uh, the recording. I take a two-document approach. I, I, I suggest that a proposal of services or statement of work or whatever label you want to put on it that just pertains to the details of this particular project. This is the work we're going to do and the price it's going to cost. And then you have a master services agreement. And the reason for that is the master services agreement, the contract, doesn't change from project to project. And so if a client comes back to you for a second project, they don't have to sign the contract again and go through all those pages. They can just sign the next statement of work or proposal that deals with the work you're about to do for them and how much it costs. And if a launch date, you know, that could be impacted by, you know, COVID issues or whatever, you know, act of God type issues, then, you know, those are things that need to be in the proposal itself as a deliverable for this particular project. I like that uh, delivery dates as a deliverable in your proposal. That's, uh, that's a very, very specific and excellent tip, I think, for most agency owners. Yeah, and just and by the way, on that two document approach, I was talking to Chris Lemma about this the other day, and and uh, he suggests that as well, simply because, especially if you're working with larger organizations or government entities or whatever, the person that's going to sign the master services agreement is not the person who's going to hire you for the scope of work. Which means, uh, you know, there's lawyers and big you know big wig entities and in larger organizations that are going to have to go through that contract and sign it, and if you can just have them sign that once then now you're dealing with this department head who can hire you on the scope of work going forward. It's a much better way to structure your documents when working with larger clients, especially. It cuts down on the, on the paperwork, obviously, in those, for those big organizations, kind of big fish clients, you might say. Exactly. So Nathan, this is your big project for the year. You still run the agency. You still have active website building customers. Correct. You're trying to spin off that knowledge now into a a way to help agency owners in general. So Monster Contracts is going to be a subscription service where you could download constantly updated and improved contracts? So Monster Contract is a single purchase of $199. And if you just want to purchase the documents, you can do that. It's just a one-time purchase. There is a $39 annual renewal cost involved in that. Uh, and the reason you'd want that renewal is that you know we, we're going to be pushing three or four versions typically of the contract a year with small additions like the the force majeure that we just talked about. But even greater than that is Monster Contracts has been purchased by lots of different kinds of people, agencies, freelancers of all different sizes. And each member of the community has the ability to submit their own suggested revisions to the contract. And so over the years, Monster Contracts is going to become stronger and stronger as people submit their own suggested revisions and we roll those into the master services agreement based on the ones that we think are good and applicable. Uh, and even if the ones that don't make it into the contract itself, a member can actually go in and see, oh, here's some suggestions in this particular area of the contract that this member had. And you can really use that to strengthen the contract yourself. And you can localize it then too, right? So if I'm in a certain area, there might be a certain specific region type piece of legal information or detail that others wouldn't need. So I can get that localized information for my specific area. Exactly. And so if you, for example, if you're in the state of Florida and you uh, have this vetted by your local attorney, which is always a good idea and it's definitely our recommendation. And in Florida, there needs to be a slight change to some of the legal language that's in the end of the contract. Well, you can submit that to the Monster Contracts revisions and other people in Florida can then benefit from that. But it, globally, we have location-based changes that people can submit. 
So you mentioned at the beginning that the contract was basically a almost a history of the ups and downs of your agency life. Each paragraph tells a story. So maybe in a couple of years, you'll be at the point where the contract is longer and more detailed and contains stories from lots of members as well. <laughs> I encountered this situation. I need to make sure that the next contract I have contains a sentence or two to deal with it for future customers. Yeah, exactly. You know, for example, the the third party services paragraph in the contract came out of a situation I was actually coaching someone and their client she was using this con- my contract with this particular client and the client hired the local used to be the Yellow Pages company, right? And now Yellow Pages people are all SEO experts for some reason. And you know, <laughs> this they hired this person to come in and just completely blew up the site. I mean, they made some they made some changes that were ridiculous and the client then wanted my coaching client to fix all these changes that the third party made under the website management agreement. And that's, you know, that's just not something we can do. You're, that person broke it. That person needs to fix it. And so there's, there's a good clause in there to protect you from those sorts of situations now. So that you can instead charge for those fixes versus being stuck or, or feeling like you have some kind of obligation when that's a clear case where obviously site owner is the one who has the responsibility, either have that person revert the changes or pay you to fix it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, from the client's perspective, they're thinking, well, I'm paying a website management fee. You should fix this. And I understand that perspective. But you know, from the perspective of the agency owner or freelancer, they're like, well, I didn't break it. Why do I have to fix it? Uh, and so you know, that's the sort of thing that can quickly go to you know, litigation. And you want to avoid that. So clarity in the contract is essential. That way you can simply refer back to, look, this was in the contract. You signed it. This is the way we handle these situations. Wow, Nathan, there's been so much great information here for agency owners. Where can people follow you and learn more about Monster Contracts and all the other things you're doing? Yeah, sure. So uh, the best link for all the monster things is myfriendlymonster.com. That's got a link to the book and the contract. I'm also at Nathan Ingram on Twitter. That's the most social network, uh, most active social network for me. So just at Nathan Ingram and then myfriendlymonster.com. Awesome, Nathan. Good luck in the rest of your work and uh, getting the monster contracts uh, growing uh, strongly at the end of the year. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.